Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat Ali. And I am super excited that we are welcoming to Democracy-ish for the first time, Sarah Kenzier, who I've been following on Twitter for, my God, probably since I went on Twitter. Um, and I'm so excited to get into a conversation with you about everything Trumpy, about everything gaslit, about everything democracy crumbling. It's not even ish anymore. But Waj, Give us a more brilliant and in-depth intro of our special guest this week. Yes, Sarah, the the Cassandra of Twitter, uh, has published her latest book, The Excellent. They knew how a culture of conspiracy keeps America complacent. It came out this week. It's awesome. I actually am saying that because I read it, and it is awesome. She is the co-host of Gaslit Nation podcast. And also, when you're picking up her new book, pick up her second book, Hiding in Plain Sight, the invention of Donald Trump and the erosion of America, because everything that's happening right now, she called it two years ago. And with that being said, Sarah, I'm going to give you a compliment. It's going to be a strange compliment because I was reading They Knew. And uh, it, it's it's a joke I have with some of my friends that like if we were movie characters, especially black and brown folks who called what's happening in America, we'd be like, I don't know if you ever see those spy movies or born movies. Like in the beginning of the Bourne movies, there's like this harried, like nervous person who understands everything and they have the plot and they're trying to like, they're trying to like give the floppy disk. I'm going old school, ladies and gentlemen. And they're trying to give the floppy <laughs> disk to like the newspaper reporter and they're like, you're a crazy person. And then they're like, oh, look, there's a spy. He'll believe me. Let's meet in the train station. I'm being followed. They're like, whatever. You're paranoid. Just trust me. And right before they're about to hand over the floppy disk, like a bullet comes through the jugular and they're like, ah, ah. And they're like, take the disc. And then like later on at the end of the at the end of the movie, it's the spy who's the hero. But it's actually that person who is seen as a crank who actually is the hero. But they always get killed. And I swear to God, it's a compliment. I'm like, Sarah's that person. <laughs> yeah, that's one hell of a compliment you got there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think. <laughs> you know, but I was like, you know, I was reading it and I was like, thankfully, in this in this reboot of that story, she gets published, she survives, she gets her flowers, right? And, I, and I'm saying that because we're witnessing everything that you said happen. And the question that I have for our listeners is how come those in power are still not paying attention? 
I mean, the thing that frightens me most is I think they are paying attention and I think they are aware of what I'm saying. They're also paying attention to things that are, as I say in the title of my second book, hiding in plain sight, like say the pre-planned coup and attack on the Capitol on January 6th, which was planned on the internet, announced beforehand, aired on TV, and we haven't seen um, real repercussions for the elite operatives who organized that event. So they know. I mean, they knew. <laughs> I'm just I'm just slipping my um, book titles into this answer. Uh, but, you know, huh? <laughs> but you know, all these folks know the same way that ordinary people do because the individuals, the corrupt, powerful individuals committing these crimes, do not bother to cover them up. They freely confess to them. You know, they get off on having impunity and and they throw it in our faces. And so. I'm more wondering, you know, what is uh, the holdup here within basically all of our institutions that are supposed to, you know, uh, enforce accountability? Because just purely out of self-interest, you would think that one, you know, if there are people trying to destroy our country from within, that they would be apprehended. And two, they would be strengthening um, the structural problems that we've been facing in order to preserve democracy. They would be focusing on voting rights. Uh, You know, they would be making sure to shore that up. They would be looking at the court system. They would have seen something like the Roe repeal coming, uh, you know, miles away. Because again, that's another thing that was announced. And so all of that's disturbing to me because I think it's less a matter of ignorance than of feigned ignorance. It's people feigning Mm. shock so that they could avoid accountability. You know, I want to pick up on the feigning shock piece because I think that that is absolutely right. And, you know, Waj and I, just like you, will not be, you know, we're not tepid when it comes to calling out bullshit that we see um, and using our platforms in order to do so. And one of the ways that I have called out bullshit and Waj has, and then people turn around and attack us, is that Democrats in particular, I don't even want to just talk about people at large. I want to, I want to focus in on the Democratic establishment. It's very aware of what is happening. They're very aware about how powerful the courts are and where we have been getting our rights. It hasn't gone through just legislation and, you know, and cooperation with Republicans. Every right from the Civil Rights Act to marriage equality has come through the courts. And yet they've had no focus or attention and all acts surprised when we saw the draft, the leak decision, and then the actual decision a month later look exactly the fucking same. And so my question to you is, you know, what is the benefit, right? Because there must be a benefit for establishment Democrats. What do you believe that the benefit is in feigning ignorance, in feigning shock, instead of taking immediate action and labeling the villain who the villain is instead of their friend from across the aisle? Yeah, 100% and very well said and somewhat of a mystery. Um, You know, there's some speculation that there's an element of greed here because the first thing the Democrats did when Roe versus Wade was repealed was send out fundraising emails. And I got to say, the feeling of, uh, you know, going out for a few hours, coming back, seeing that the attorney general had signed away my bodily autonomy and then opening my email and getting a fundraising message from Nancy Pelosi is really not um, a fabulous feeling. You know, they, they treat us as disposable. They treat us as, uh, you know, 
walking ATMs with limited funds, even though they themselves are millionaires um, and billionaires for the most part. Um, but yeah, you know, I wonder about just their own self-interest because the way that this right-wing extremist movement is operating is very stealthily uh, with long-term plans. And those plans are, um, you know, hijacking the court system and proclaiming any election that they result that they don't like to be illegitimate, which of course would put Democrats out of office. So yeah, you know, what is in it for them is an interesting question. I think sometimes it's less a matter of favor than of fear. I think they're very mm. worried that the institutional rot will be revealed for all to see and that they have known all along that we've been facing a variety of threats, uh, some existential in nature like climate change, and that it's not just been uh, the Republicans who are either in on this threat or simply a witness to it. That's where I tend to see the Democrats more as they watched this happen. They instead did not uh, act. They decided to either blow it off or maybe sort of casually participate in it, thinking it can't get that bad, thinking that we live with uh, American exceptionalism or whatever the rationale is. Um, mm. But it's it's obviously not working. And the thing is, is this isn't 2015 anymore. This isn't 2016 yep. anymore. Back then, when I talked about authoritarianism and Trump as a prospective autocrat, people thought I was insane. They thought I was hyperbolic, alarmist. Um, you know, and what I am is unfortunately vindicated. This is not a fun thing uh, to be right about. But, you know, th this is what I noticed back then is who believed me and who didn't. Uh, other scholars of authoritarian states believe me. People from Eastern Europe, uh, former Soviet Union, believe yep. me. And every Black American that I spoke to, every Muslim American, every Latino American, every Native American believed me because American history has always been a history of selective autocracy. And the courts are the cage bars on that autocracy. And so this is not something that, quote, can't happen here. It already happened here. And so folks should not have been surprised that when it did happen here in a greater form, it came back uh, as a white supremacist demagogue reality TV show host with mastery over the infotainment military industrial complex. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Uh, yeah, that, that should be the name uh, <laughs> of the novel. Uh, or like a punk rock band. Uh, you what? know, it, that should be the name of a punk rock band, the last one. Uh, that last rant that you said, I'm like, yeah, that'd be a good punk, punk, punk rock band. You know, you talk about institutional rot a lot, Sarah, which is why I think uh, you are not popular or more popular among those. <laughs> because cause, cause I was thinking about it, right? You've been right. You have the receipts. Even if people don't read your books or listen to Gaslit Nation, your tweets are there. And you call out the institutional rot and corruption a lot, even in your new book. You you kind of step back a little bit and you peel the curtains and you say, listen, this is not really a Democrat-Republican thing. Let's go a bit deeper and let's dig deeper and show you why people have lost trust in the media. Let me show you why people have lost trust in the, uh, you know, in the institutions. Let me show you why people you know, believe in conspiracy theories because these institutions that you expect us to defend have oftentimes put their boot on our necks. And mm-hmm. these Democrats and Republicans, as Daniel always has this really good image that's stuck, stuck in my mind, smoke cigars and swill their whiskey and scratch each other's backs. You know, it's this incestuous ecosystem that even Biden has been a part of. He's been in the center for like 900 years. You know, talk to me about how, because you're also a scholar of authoritarianism, and it took until the year of 2022, just recently for Joe Biden, to barely come out and call out yep. fascism, which again, you called out and sober, I want to remind people, it was the sober scholars of fascism and authoritarianism who have been ringing the alarm for the past five years. Right? These are not hysterical you know, pundits. They decided to come out and say, hey, guys, I'm going to risk my reputation and call this out because I've studied this and I'm connecting the dots for you. History shows us that those who are in power, uh, those who are wealthy, those institutions have always paved the way for fascism. And my fear right now, Sarah, is especially if you look at our industry, the media industry, they are paving the way for fascism. So the question I have for you is, and you've mentioned this twice now, even though these fascists are coming after the very same institutionalists who are trying to protect them, why are they normalizing it? Yeah, it's a great question because back in 2015, 2016, they could at least try to feign um, naivete, even though, of course, Trump's whole background, his criminal complicity was out there in the public domain. And the same is true of Manafort and so many others surrounding him. But it was a hypothetical. It was what would a Trump administration be like? Well, you know, will checks and balances hold? Will institutional norms remain? And we know the answer to that. It ends in a, you know, a coup, an attack on the Capitol, a multitude of crimes committed. We know what's coming. And, you know, and that includes attacks on the media. It includes attacks on the press. And what's alarming to me now is we've seen a number of mainstream outlets, none of whom were particularly good at holding Trump accountable for the last seven years anyway, but they're taking a pointed turn toward uh, embracing fascism. They won't, mm-hmm. they won't call it that. Uh, but that is what they're doing at CNN, at mm-hmm. uh, Politico. Um, I think it's, you know, it's racist. I think it's rooted in racism. I think there's been a lot of reevaluation of American history. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, reading books like the 1619 Project, and then this incredible backlash that has occurred. And we're really living in that backlash now. And so what worries me about this is that they seem to be taking the tack that the Republicans are going to win, that the fascists are going to win, that the white supremacists are going to win. 
I don't think that that would necessarily be the case in a free and fair election because they're very unpopular. You know, Trump is actually not that popular. He's probably more popular with uh, the media, I think, than he is with Americans. Uh, Republicans are extremely unpopular. They haven't been popular in a long time. So the way that they win is through voter suppression or through uh, new laws like in Georgia and Texas, where the state legislature can just simply overrule the will of the people and throw away their votes. And I've you know lived through that in Missouri as well. It doesn't represent um, what people actually want. So this media is clearly catering uh, to this moneyed class, to a kind of white power class in multiple uh, uses of that term. And um, it's disturbing to me because that sends a signal to me that this election is preordained. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, I certainly hope that's not the case, but it's strange to me that they wouldn't kind of place their bets and think, well, you know, the Democrats might really sweep. Look at what happened in Kansas recently. Like, look at all the rage uh, directed at the Republicans. They might do really well and they might really hate us uh, for going fascism light and hiring old Trump lackeys and, you know, rehabilitating the reputation of Bill Barr and all the other things they've, they've gotten up to. But that's been kind of the enigma of the media for a while. It's not about money when it comes to Trump, and it never has been. I mean, I think they appreciate the money, but you can make as much money uh, documenting a Trump crime um, or a major Trump scandal or Trump's uh, you know, proximity to something like, say, the Jeffrey Epstein case. You make just as much as you do, probably more, than putting a sycophants on television. Like with CNN, you know, at various points, they put on um, you know, Corey Lewandowski and uh, you know, Michael Caputo as pundits. These are not people who anyone normal has really heard of. These are not people anyone likes. They don't have charisma. I would kind of understand if they put Trump on because at least people, you know, they find him interesting. But these are not interesting people. They're doing this for some other agenda. They're doing this to shape a political narrative. I'm not sure why in the world they want this narrative shaped other than, I guess, to protect their own kind of inner circle, you know, this uh, moneyed class that is fine with white collar corruption, uh, fine with white collar crime, wants to streamline and normalize it, and is fine uh, many times uh, with racism and with a, you know, white supremacist power Sarah, structure as well. So it's, it's John Malone, right? Like, for those who don't know, John Malone, who's a major shareholder of Discovery, who also gave money to the Trump super PAC, uh, who is the guy who said openly, we need more Fox uh, the media is too liberal. And Chris Licht, who is now the CEO of CNN, replacing um, the other guy, Zucker, uh, Zucker. who mm-hmm. apparently has, he has has an audience of one. And so that's that's what it gets it gets, it gets down to is like, and, and, and Daniel will take over here. But that, that was the thing is like, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. Right. Because like you said, the January 6th commission got killer ratings. The hearings right. are crushing but- it. You know, he's not that popular. And but John Malone says, you know what? Fascism seems to be good for my bottom line. Uh, and, and it seems that fascism has always been good for the bottom line of the rich until it isn't. And we just don't seem to learn. And the, the reality here, too, is that the, the thing that I, 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 I want to delve into now is whiteness. Right. You brought it up, Sarah, and you say, you, you know, you say and they're comfortable with racism. It isn't just for me about their comfort with racism. It's the desire to use these networks and these platforms in order to secure white supremacy, mm-hmm. to secure, mm-hmm. to embed it. Right. To continue to indoctrinate it in every way that they can. When we are looking at, you know, the fight 
uh, at K through 12 school level in terms of the curriculum that they have. And then we look at what the media was supposed to be, which is the fourth estate in terms of the responsibility to educate, right, young adults and adults about their responsibility as citizens. We are saying to you at from the K to grave level that we are about indoctrinating white supremacy because that is how we hold on to our power. That is how we hold on to our wealth. And so my question for you is, you know, I go particularly hard on white women all the time because one of the things that is coming up, you know, now is that white women have lost abortion, right? And I want to make it clear when I say white women because for many black women and brown women in red states, that was just a paper, a a, a, a paper promise, right, is what Roe mm-hmm. v. Wade was for them. And so now that white women have lost the ability to have an abortion and uh, South Carolina state legislature, women, the three women in the state legislature are like, oh, my God, even in cases of rape and incest, these white men don't want us to have an abortion. It's just like, yeah, wake up. Right. But you were okay so long as it was black and brown women. So my question is, you know, what is it about white women? Right. That allows them to be able to have this disassociative way of being right. That until their own lives are directly affected. Now it's like, oh, my goodness, they're going to pay at the polls. And I'm like, bitch, where were you? In 2020. Oh, that's right. 56% voted for Donald Trump. Where were you in 2016 when one of your own was running against a misogynist pig? Oh, that's right. You chose him over her. And so I'm just wondering, what do you think is in the psyche of these quote unquote conservative white women that allows them to disassociate from reality in the way that they do? And Sarah, on behalf of democracy ish in the by the power vest in you, by us, you are. Yes, you are. You are the I, correct. I, I get to be the spokesperson here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the spokesman. I mean, I think first of all, there's a deficit of empathy. There's an immorality, mm. you know, that is inexcusable, regardless where you're coming from. There's also um, historical illiteracy. And I had some hope uh, in 2019 and 2020, when a lot of, um, you know, conversations about structural racism were happening and rising to the fore, that p- perhaps, you know, people's minds can be swayed. That if they knew the actual history of this country, if they knew what Jim Crow was like, if they knew that slavery was not some distant part of the past, but informed decisions about how modern cities were made, about where people live, about who is funded, about who is not, that they would cultivate at least a sense of understanding and that that might lead to a sense of empathy. And then the backlash arrived and it Mm -hmm. arrived during the pandemic and it arrived during a time of uh, trauma. And what I see happening is, you know, this happens too with white men, but with white women, it's proximity to power. They've chosen to embrace proximity to power over uh, moral integrity and even over their own political self-interest because they are not going to win in the end in terms of having freedom, in terms of having rights. Theirs will be taken away next. And so they're making, I think, a very bad bet, a very uh, immoral and unpragmatic bet that if you take the side of white men, that they somehow will protect you and that the system that they're trying to create will also protect you. And it's wrong. And I 
I see it too with, um, you know, with white people in general, uh, you know, where they look at Kyle Rittenhouse, for example, and they're like, oh, look what he did. You know, he went and killed two people um, because he was against black people having rights and he was rewarded from it for it, yep. treated like a folk hero and he got off the hook. You know, people like this idea of criminal impunity. It usually only goes to the elite class. It goes to the Trumps and, you know, Manafort's and Kushner's of the world. I think they think that if they get in on you know, this MAGA action, that it's transferable. And then women look at the men and they think, oh, it'll transfer to us. And that is the message that this group of people is sending those voters is, you know, you too can get away with anything. You can say anything, you can behave in whatever abhorrent way you want. We have a long history in America of white people, you know, behaving in abhorrent ways, having it documented, photographed, uh, you know, presented to the message and, and no repercussions, no legal repercussions and not the kind of ostracization that I think someone should experience mm -hmm. if they're, say, witnessing a lynching and just having a picnic nearby. You know, that's been the American uh, experience. That is what they want to bring us back to. Um, and so it's really up to those individual women to reject that, but they're putting out incentives for them not to. And so, you know, some of that is just, you know, I condemn it. And some of it is like, wake up, like in your own self-interest, they are going to screw you over too. You know, I live in Missouri. I've lost my bodily autonomy, uh, you know, and, and as you said correctly, black women in Missouri have been fighting for that right for a long time and have been struggling for equal access to reproductive care for a long time. And now it has hit uh, everybody. And there is this sort of shock. The shock shouldn't be there. I hope it does wake people up again. I, I don't know, though, because there's these competing narratives that are that are aimed at this audience. Uh, Sarah, you are now the leader of all white women in America. I wish. I wish. Go forth and proselytize. I, I resign. I'm stepping down. May your reign be fruitful. May your crown and jewels not be embedded with uh, those who were formerly subjugated by the British right. monarchy. Uh, you know, a lot of these white women like to participate in coups, and I think they will participate in another one if I am appointed <laughs> to this role. So I'm going to just send you lasted for 14 seconds as a leader of white women before Karen <laughs> snatched away her crown. Uh, Bring on the coup, baby. You're connecting the dots. You're talking about this need for proximity to power, which explains why so many white women behave in a way which uh, ultimately <laughs> removes their autonomy but gives them protection, which also explains to me why media mm. does what it does. And the CBS mm -hmm. president said, oh, we think the Republicans are going to win. That's why we need access to power, right? And so we're going to be complicit uh, in the rise of a fascist movement that is eventually going to come and kill us, right? And and you're talking about this, those who have no culpability, no accountability, those who just walk freely due to whiteness, due to wealth, due to proximity of power. And as you were saying that, I just thought of Prince Andrew. And I vomited a little bit uh. in my mind. And, and the reason why I thought of Prince Andrew, it was because mm. in your book, and you mentioned him before a couple of minutes ago, an example of your thesis or an example of your ideas, I think it is articulated very well because you bring it up again and again and again, is Jeffrey Epstein. And Jeffrey Epstein is connected to Prince Andrew. For those of you who don't know, Prince Andrew allegedly, well, perhaps most Not likely. Not even allegedly. He, he paid him off. He did it. He, he did. He, he raped a teenage girl. There you go. Had sex with minors as a pedophile. Everyone knows about it, but now he's there, and you can't boo him apparently, as he's you know this endless. No, that that is illegal. Not yeah, not can't. not his crimes, but the booing. Yeah, not hanging out with a pedophile and you know having sex with women, but God forbid if you're a crowd bystander, you're booing, seeing this man walk in this procession. That's the, that's decorum and civility. You know, 
talking about Epstein and Andrews as an example of how the institutions, Democrats and Republicans, the wealthy, had no problem, Sarah, normalizing, dealing with, and profiting off of a known pedophile. Break that down. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he was a pedophile and he was a trafficker and he was implicated in espionage and blackmail operations. And he was linked to, you know, the most elite and wealthy and powerful people in the world. Prince Andrew, uh, Ehud Barak, Trump, uh, Alan Dershowitz. I mean, the the list is very long. And then people who weren't accused of rape um, in the context of Epstein, but who certainly knew him, like Bill Gates or Bill Clinton. Um, It's it's a very long list. And the same is true of Ghislaine Maxwell. And yes, they knew. Um, It is mind boggling to me. You know, I I knew about Epstein before Trump was uh, um, made president. And I kept bringing this up because Trump was sued in court. Uh, by a woman who says that he raped uh, her when she was only 13 years old and that she was a victim of the Epstein trafficking operation. And, you know, she stuck to the story for many years. She tried to hold a press conference about it. And, uh, you know, she was threatened with death threats and so was her lawyer. And they dropped um, the press conference. You know, these are very frightening people. And with Epstein, though, it's like he was arrested for this um, back in, I I believe it was 2007, given this sort of uh, very loose house arrest in which he was still allowed to do whatever the hell he wanted. Uh, When that ended, he just re-entered high society and people partied with him and hung out with him. And it absolutely no problem that this is a pedophile. This is a a rapist of children who kidnaps children and gives them to other high power predators to rape. I mean, it's one of the most horrifying things you can imagine. And they did not want people to know. But more than that, they didn't want them to care. They didn't want them to think it was important. They would refer to the girls who were the victims as just trash, as disposable mm. people. And I think that that is how this particular class, uh, you know, sees a lot of people, including um, most Americans. But yeah, you know, I, I talk about him a lot because he's a, I think, a really central node in this great mystery of um, why aren't people being held accountable, which is that this is a culture of blackmail and threats and bribes and a different form of leverage than I think we are accustomed to. And, you know, this has always been the case. You know, you see um, conspiracies like Iran-Contra, like Watergate. The Epstein operation is murkier. It's transnational. It's linked to non-state actors, linked to the mafia, um, involved, you know, arms trading and all sorts of things as well. And we've never fully gotten um, to the bottom of it, in part because of, uh, you know, Bill Barr was in charge of the DOJ when Epstein, quote unquote, committed suicide in prison. Bill Barr's father, Donald Barr, is the person who hired Epstein as a high school teacher uh, and introduced him into high society in New York. Um, meanwhile, uh, Bill Barr's father, Donald Barr, was writing science fiction novels about uh, intergalactic pedophile rings. So that's just a, a wonderful coincidence. Wow. See, these stories, to be at the least, they're very interesting, right? Like that little factoid about Bill Barr's dad. You'd think that might have made it on the news instead of the Bill Barr rehabilitation tour in which people are pretending that someone, even William Sapphire, called the cover-up general, because what he does is clean up Republican dirty crimes, is some sort of um, you know consummate statesman. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But they are all avoiding this because they're up to things that are creepy and evil and unpunished. And I think they want to keep it that way. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mm. I, it is just, you know, listening to you and li- just, it's like dot, 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 connect, connect, connect. And yet when people like yourself are connecting these dots, have the research and the facts to back it up, we're the ones that are looked at as conspiracy theorists, right? Because what you just did is not a conspiracy. It's like, let me show you the net. Let me show you how these people have existed and worked together and protect each other, right? As they climb these different ladders of power that they have, the, uh, the, uh, the protection, the umbrella that they have grows so large. And, you know, it, it comes back to me, Sarah, when you're when we're talking about particularly around sex trafficking and we're talking about young girls, the lack of care, consideration and even thought about women and girls. And I wonder again, why is this something? And again, the, the only person that is going to take the fall for this is actually a woman. Now, I'm not absolving Max. I'm not a, absolving her at all. Right. But I'm saying, isn't that fascinating that out of all of the people, all of the powerful, wealthy, political entertainment pe- men, that it is a woman that is going to take the fall for this. And like, what does that say that we are not a- like, why do you think is it all just because the networks, the CEOs and everybody is just part of that umbrella of power of protection? Why doesn't it break through and why doesn't it enrage women that men get away with crimes like this, that Prince Andrew is, he was the one that was able to wear the military uniform behind the the queen's procession. But the one who isn't a pedophile and a rapist, but just happened to marry a biracial woman is the one that's fucking shunned, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I I want people to understand Mm -hmm. like that, that fact as well. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I I do think most, Americans, just globally, most observers of the Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell case, they are enraged and they want to know the truth. It's like, honestly, in a a sad, perverse way, the thing holding us all together is these are people who absolutely no one likes or no ordinary people like. There's a very powerful network kind of floating above us on a cloud of money that seeks to protect these people because those people hold their secrets. I was shocked that um, Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested at all because she had Mm. been operating freely for 25 years and was, you know, a key partner in this. You know, her father, Robert Maxwell, was a Mossad agent uh, tied to the Russian mafia and to 
to the KGB, who died mysteriously um, on a yacht in 1991 and was given this very lavish cer- funeral ceremony um, by Israel, you know, and where officials came out and thanked him for his service. Uh, we don't fully know what that is, but, you know, these uh, operatives have been working for a long time and it seems to be passed down to the next generation once the older generation died. And I don't know what will become of her. Um, my guess is that they wanted to uh, shut her up, uh, which is interesting because she, after Epstein, managed to kind of vanish briefly for a year, although it turned out she was like living in Massachusetts the whole time. I mean, there are a lot of questions and that kind of gets back to, you know, why are people called conspiracy theorists? But when you think about the word, it shouldn't be a pejorative term. Like we all know there was a conspiracy. I think everyone would admit right. that Epstein and Maxwell was a conspiracy. We all don't have all of the information. There's a lot of mysteries involved, including, you know, how did uh, or what happened to Jeffrey Epstein in prison? You know, why did all the cameras malfunction? Why did all the guards fall asleep? And what happened during that period? We don't completely know. So we're forced to have a theory, you know, and there are many theories about that. He did kill himself. He was murdered or he's still alive and got out. Those are three theories. And those are conspiracy theories that I think are reasonable, you know, in various degrees to express, but there's so much stigma in doing that and having a conversation about these topics because the topics sound absolutely demented. You know, they sound like the stuff of spy movies and fantasy and paranoia, but they're the reality that Mm. we're living in. You know, this is the dirty, most evil stuff that's behind the bureaucratic facade, um, you know, of our government and our society. And people don't want to look at it, not just because it's so revolting and upsetting and evil, but because it's really weird, you know, it's really strange and they don't want to feel like they're an extra in a X-Files episode or a, you know, CSI episode or something that's not respectable. I think this urge to be respectable is a great plague on American society. I think we should all be Mm. much less respectable and just try to be honest. Um, But to do that, you have to kind of, you know, burn your reputation, uh, destroy it, you know, which I've done quite successfully. Um, But, uh, you know, but you you take some blows in the process, but it's for the greater good. And, you know, the goal should be uh, to get the public the truth. And with the truth, hopefully will come accountability. I mean, you you mentioned in your book a lot, the book is called They Knew, why so many people, so many ordinary folks might resort towards conspiracies, right? And Epstein, for example, that was real and explains why there's lack of faith in institutions, right? Why some people might believe that there's a QAnon deep state conspiracy. People of color and their history of being abused and marginalized by the FBI, right? Mm-hmm. Surveillance which is why there's a trust deficit. And with that trust deficit and the lack of faith in institution, there comes up conspiracy theories to connect the dots, which then become you know, weaponized by certain bad faith actors. But nonetheless, you keep going back to the fact that there's lack of faith in, in these institutions that we're supposed to uphold and defend because there is a lack of accountability, because of these perverse individuals who are openly committing crimes, as, as you said in your second book, in plain sight, that just, you know, I, I feel like Donald Trump's existence is a middle finger finger to the world like the guy literally is an idiot he's bankrupt himself multiple times he's a vulgarian he's committed crimes and what's the result thanks to his wealth his whiteness his celebrity and now thanks to presidency he literally fails up in life and so with that being said and and daniel making the point that it's only maxwell a hideous person but of like one of many hideous people a woman who gets uh convicted we're we're on the heels of the anniversary of 9-11 and it reminds me, and I keep bringing this up again and again, but maybe because I was in New York yesterday and 9-11, the anniversary just happened. 
you fast forward 21 years, every single pundit, think tank, expert, analyst, general, elected official who cheer-led that disastrous war, every single one fell up. All of us who called it out as a 21-year-old young activist and student, we were right. We're still seen as crazy. The one person who actually got like arrested was Judith Miller, the woman, New York Times reporter, right? The only person who basically got it. So with all that being said, Sarah, and what we're witnessing right now, especially right now with like, you know, the vices seem to be tightening around Trump, the subpoenas, the Georgia case, the New York case, right? January 6th commission. What hope should we have <laughs> that there will be any accountability, right? And, and, and if there is no accountability, what will that say to the American people about these institutions? Yeah, I don't know if there will be accountability. I just know we need to push for it. You know, we need to push for it relentlessly, regardless whether, you know, DOJ bot farms are out there harassing us on Twitter, telling us Garland is some sort of saint working quietly behind the scenes. You know, we've all heard that line before. We heard it about Mueller. We heard it about Cy Vance. We heard it about Pelosi. You heard it about Biden. heard it about, uh, you know, the state of New York courts. It, it just hasn't been the case. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there is something going on because he now has taken uh, classified documents related to nuclear materials and put him in the base of his golf club. You would think at the least, you know, intelligence agencies would be very active getting that information back, wondering where has that information been? What else did he take? What did Kushner take? What's been going on here? That's why I have this feeling that they are all in on it. They are complicit. They must approve of it at some level, maybe not to the degree that it's gone, but they were willing to look the other way when he entered office as a national security threat. They knew his background. He flaunted it. He asked Russia, for example, for Hillary Clinton's emails at a press conference. He wasn't trying to hide what he was doing. Neither did Kushner. You know, he was giving secrets to the Saudis while he was in office. Like all of this happened openly, which of course doesn't leave me with much hope that things would change unless there's the change in personnel, unless there are new people um, investigating. And one thing I found interesting is that, you know, we have a gerontocracy. Um, and it's not just, uh, it, it's not that these are people who are so great at their jobs, it's quite the opposite. These are people who are insular, very good at keeping secrets, very dedicated to uh, protecting broken institutions, which is why, for example, with 9-11, uh, you know, and the wars that followed and the false pretexts and lies that led us into war, the people who uh, spread those lies get promoted, get revered, because that is an act of loyalty to not apologize, to lie flagrantly on behalf of power, not take it back or just do so in a half-hearted way. And that shows, yeah, whatever you've got going on, whatever schemes you're cooking up, we will be your guys. We've got your back. We're your PR people hiding as journalists. And, you know, maybe they really think that they are doing journalism. I don't know. That's not what Judith Miller was doing. Um, and it's disturbing because it leaves the American public in the lurch. They're not being served by public officials and public servants. They're not uh, being served by journalism. And, you know, the latter is less the fault of the journalists sometimes because I think people want to report this stuff and it gets killed by CEOs. You see hedge funds buying up newspapers. You know, it's not an easy time to be a journalist. So, so I have sympathy there. But Boy, um, it leaves the American people, I think, with a really limited uh, perspective about what's actually going on and, and what threats are at hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I, it's like it's like I, I <clears throat> Waj is always the the king of hope. 
on on, on democracy ish i am i am the queen of not um right. and <laughs> but you know i i i have to tell you sarah one i appreciate so much your time your energy your thoughtfulness your writings your books and your podcast in such a way because you did know you continue to know and you continue to try and ring the alarm and raise the awareness to the American people who just, you know, many of which still choose to be asleep at the wheel, mm-hmm. regardless of how much information that we can provide them. But like you said, you know, in in, in the ending of your, your answer, whether or not we will see accountability cannot stop us from pushing for it, Indeed. right? Because I think that it is it is us continuing to push these conversations out there, continuing to call attention to it that will wake people up one, you know, one at a time. And that's that's all we can push for and hoping that the establishments that are that have the power do the right thing by the American people. But Sarah, thank you so much for making the time to join Democracy Ish. We appreciate you so much. Um, That is it for us today, folks, on Democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat Ali. And we will be back next week, if, in fact, we have a country left. <laughs>